brought a Bible with you or you were on your iPhone or whatever, uh, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We are going to continue looking at the book of 1 Corinthians. And we are going to only look at four verses this morning. Uh, I'm going to tell you that when I'm done with this sermon, I'm going to challenge you. And here's the challenge, so you're going to know it up front. So listen, listen up uh, real carefully. At the end, you came to Garden Chapel today, and I am glad you came. But you know what? I really don't know where you are spiritually. We are going to talk about the gospel, the good news. At the end, I'm going to challenge you to look at your own life and make sure, without a shadow of doubt, that you know for sure that you have trusted Christ, that you have received the gift that God has for you, the gift of eternal life, the gift of forgiveness of sins, the gift of having the power to live a life here and now that's worth living. I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to embarrass anybody. I'm not going to raise your hands. None of that stuff. You will have an opportunity. I'll just tell you. I'll tell you now and I'll tell you again. Is if you have questions about this, by all means, talk to myself. Talk to Pastor Peter. Talk to a friend that you know for sure is a Christian. And and talk to them about this. Because this will be the most important thing that you could ever do in your life. And so uh, that's where we're going to go with this, because the Apostle Paul is going to make this clear. We're going to look at a, a number of different things. I appreciated the, the songs that we've already begun to sing, because some of them equated our freedom that we have as a country, our independence, the uh, liberty that we have as a country, with what Jesus Christ has done for us. I did not plan this sermon for this day, but it is absolutely the perfect one. Because, see, our country was in the tyranny of someone who said, hey, we're going to take your taxes without leaving you any opportunity to have freedom or liberty or any of those things. You don't get any say. That was tyranny. There were men who put their lives, their fortunes, their everything on the line to purchase that. It was bloody. It was ugly. It was horrible. But they did that for us. And we have the result of that. We have a new country. A country that has more freedom than any other country that I'm aware of. It's not perfect, that's for sure. But we have freedom. A new life was given to a country. We can have freedom. A new life that's not only here for now as a country or as an individual or family, but a freedom, a new life that's for all eternity. That's where the gospel comes in. We'll talk about the gospel in a second. But there are two things that we need to talk about ahead of time. Because you see the title, Celebrating the Resurrection. The chapter that we're going to look at, and we're only looking at four verses, we're going to look at the summation of the gospel. But this chapter looks at what Christ has done. And it talks about death and it talks about resurrection. Many of you have heard me say this before, but some of you haven't. So let me go back over it. Whenever you see the word, the concept of death in the Bible, it always has to do with separation. There are at least three kinds of death in the Bible. The first one is the one we all know about. When we go to a funeral, we know that kind of death. 
That is physical death. Physical death is when the soul and the spirit, the immaterial part of man, depart from the body. The body is dead. We bury the body, cremate, whatever. And the soul and spirit either go to be with God in heaven, if you're a believer, or it goes to Hades at this point yet, and eventually to the lake of fire, which we call hell. Uh, but it goes one place or the other. That's physical death. Then there is spiritual death. All of us were born in our trespasses and sins. In other words, all of us were born sinners. David said, in sin did my mother conceive me. From the very moment of conception, we are sinners. We are spiritually dead, which simply means we are separated from God. We need a change in our lives if we're going to be in a right relationship with God. That's where the good news comes in. Then there's one other kind of death that's also mentioned in the Bible, and that is the second death or eternal death. Second death is simply this. When someone who has rejected Jesus Christ is eternally separated from God. They're in the lake of fire, as I already said. Most of the people call that hell. It's literally the lake of fire. Now, the other word is exactly the opposite. It's the word raised or resurrection. They are actually two different words. But it simply means to stand up again, to be awoken again, to come back together. It actually comes from an idea of the marketplace where people gather together. That's where it comes from. And it, what it simply means is soul and spirit are reunited with the body. That's resurrection. The exact opposite of death. And so when we talk about the resurrection of Christ or the resurrection of believers, uh, we're talking about the soul and spirit coming back into the body, and then we have a glorified body. Jesus had a glorified body. But also, those that reject Christ, unbelievers, they're also resurrected, but not resurrected to spend eternity with God in heaven, with Christ in heaven, but to spend eternity in the lake of fire, which the Bible is very clear is a time of day and night. Forever and ever, a time of torment. Horrible. I don't want anybody to walk out of here not knowing which resurrection they're a part of. So, with that as a background, let me just give you a real quick rundown of what this chapter... We're going to talk about the first four verses, the summation of the gospel. It ends with the resurrection. That's why it's there. We're going to talk about Christ's resurrection. The resurrection that's the first resurrection that someone came from that never died again. All the other resurrections in the Bible, those people had to die two times. Uh, one, the first time, and then after they were resurrected, they had to die again. And then there's the practical applications of the resurrection. What does it mean? Why does it make any difference? And then the last one, and I really like this one, the results of the resurrection. Because at the very end it says, Therefore, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. That's where this whole, end, a whole chapter ends. So what I'd like to do is just this morning go over the good news. The summation of the gospel. Because, and now we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. If you want to follow along, I sure hope you do. And that is... Paul said, I now make known to you, brethren, the gospel. 
Paul said, I have something that I want you to absolutely know about and continue to know about. And that is the gospel. Gospel simply means good news. The greatest news. Other places, glad tidings. All depends how you want to translate it. It's simply this. There are lots of things in this life that are good news. If a baby is born, that's good news. If somebody graduates from high school or college, that's good news. Uh, you get married, that's good news. There's lots of good newses in this world. But there's only one good news. And that is the message of Jesus Christ. Now, the gospel is used a number of, the word gospel is used a number of ways uh, by Christians and in the Bible. For example, we say we read the gospel or the gospels, the first four books of the New Testament. They are simply the good news about the life and the work and the teaching of Jesus Christ. Nothing wrong with that, a good way to use it. The gospel is also used as a whole for the teachings of the church and Jesus Christ as a whole. We say, we believe uh, that we, we preach the gospel. Well, that can mean that we're just teaching everything that's in the New Testament. And the way it's used here in this passage is very narrow. Because Paul is going to say, I preached to you. I made known to you the gospel. And then he goes on to explain it very explicitly. It is Christ died for our sins. He was buried. And that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel in a nutshell. It is the essence of the good news. Without this good news, you have no hope. The church is worthless. We're all still going in the wrong direction. We still are not saved. We don't have an eternal home to look forward to. And we really have no good reason for living here and now. And by the way, just in case you didn't look around for a while, most of the world doesn't know why they're here and they're living in pretty much gloom, despair, and misery. You know, they're muddling through. Well, guess what? I don't want anybody to leave here just simply muddling through this life. I want you to leave knowing that you have hope because you have believed the good news. Paul said, I preached this good news to you. Notice, there is only one message of good news. Paul said, there aren't numerous ways of good news, or ways to have good news. He says, no, no, there's only one message. That message is the one that I gave to you. We'll explain that in a few moments. It's not multiple. It's not, well, if you want to believe in Jesus, that's good. But you know what? You can also be right with God by being the best person you can or being a good neighbor. By the way, I hope you want to be the best person you can be. And I surely hope you're a good neighbor, especially if you live next to me. I hope you're a good neighbor. By the way, I hope I'm a good neighbor too. You know, that's what we should be. And, oh, but Pastor Paul, I came to church on the 4th of July weekend. Look at how many people didn't come this morning. You know, they're on vacation. You know what? I'm glad you came. I hope that you leave here knowing for sure that the good news is a part of your life. So Paul said, I had only one message that I preached to you. And then he says something, which you received. Another synonym for the word believe or trust. But receive simply means that you have taken something and made it your own. If I said to Chrissy, here, I have something for you. I have a 
I, I don't think she would refuse this, but I have a million-dollar check, Chrissy, and uh, it's yours. All she has to do is reach out and take it. But she says, John wants it. <laughs> okay, John wants it. But, but uh, you know what? That million-dollar check made out to Chrissy, you know what? It's hers. But if she never takes it, it does her absolutely no good. If we don't receive the good news, it does us no good. There are lots of people. If you live in the United States, in fact, there's most of the world, not all the world, but most of the world, you know about the work of Christ. You know a little bit about the life of Christ. You know a little bit about the Bible. You know all of those things. But unless you make it personal, receive it, it does you zero good. It doesn't change your life. And so he said there's only one message that he was preaching to the Corinthian church and to us that even matters. And that is the message of the gospel. And then he said, in which you stand. Interesting the way this is, and I don't like to use a lot of technical things, but in Greek, this is in the perfect tense, which simply means this. It was something you did, and you made a choice, and the full results continue on and on and on and on and on. They never come to an end. That's the perfect tense. Some, a decision you made, a, a choice you made, and the full result. He said, you stand in this message. Something you did, but it has full, complete results. As we go through this, you're going to understand that this is not a message that says, believe in Jesus and then you have to do something else to stay saved. It's not going to say that at all. In fact, is this alone, if I didn't have anything else, this alone would say, if you've trusted Christ, that's what you stand in. Now, I'm going to use an illustration that my wife kind of triggered off in my head a couple of nights ago. We were talking to someone, and she mentioned I went to Lordoff in high school, which is neither here nor there. But I lived in Grantville, and if you've ever looked at a map of the Lordoff School District, if you go to high school at Lordoff and over in Hummelstown, it looks like a giant octopus. It does. It goes halfway around Middletown. It goes almost the whole way around Hershey. It goes all over the place. We had an hour-long bus ride. I'm getting, this is a whole lot of details. You don't need to know the details. But on that bus ride, if they, were, if they would be happening today, that was a long time ago now, but if it was happening today, they'd say there were a bunch of bullies that rode on that bus. By the way, they were bullies. We did not use that term. They were just picking on people. And I can remember uh, we had a bunch of them. An hour long? It was bad. It really was bad. I was a tall, gangly guy, and I was, my dad made it clear, if you get in a fight in school, nothing, nothing as bad as that fight's, I mean, it's going to be way worse if you get in a fight. Okay, how's that? In other words, Paul, you're not going to get in a fight, right? Because it's going to, you're going to pay when you get home. So, I tried to stay out of fights. I mostly did. I only ever got in one fight, and... Um, the big brother was picking on me, and his little brother, who was a buddy of mine, decided that if big brother could pick on me, uh, he could too. And he did this at least five times. It could have been more. But I'm just sitting there pay, doing nothing. I was not aggravating him doing anything. He took, remember those big old geography books we used to have? They're about this thick, and they're heavy. He would take his geography book and hit me over the back of the head. I mean, it would ring your bell. I mean, it would, it would make you a little woozy. And I told him after the fifth time, I said, don't ever do that again. If you do, you're going to wish you hadn't. 
He did it one more time. The only time I've ever hit anybody out of, I'm going to call it self-defense, just in my my. <laughs> the only fight I got into in my life lasted one second. He hit me over the head. It rung my bell. I turned around and I gave him a right hook that took his head from the center aisle and bounced it off the window. I'm telling you, you after that, I, I understand. I don't want to get in a fight. I'm, it scares me because I know what I'm like. Because if I start something, I'm not inclined to not finish it. So, time goes on. By the way, we're now buddies again. But there were a bunch of other guys on the bus that were just like that. I was a junior. So I was still one of the taller guys, and I really was back then. I'm not anymore, but I was back then. And there were two guys in particular. One guy was a little rounder than I, way, big, way more than I did. And um, I was sitting in the seat, and he came on the bus and said, Move out of that seat. I'm going to sit there. And I had about had it to hear. I stood up, looked him in the eye, and said, today you're going to have to move me. And I, I said it just like that. Today you're going to have to. I wasn't angry. I wasn't anything. I just like, and I think that's probably what scared him. He looked at me for a while, turned around, and just walked off and left me alone. He was one of the guys who picked on me. Then there was this other guy. He had that little man complex. He had fire red hair. And he just thought he was all that. Well, I was talking to a friend of mine behind me. He gets on the bus in the seat behind me, and he says, Turn around, Mulfair. I stood up. Now, I was about this much taller than he was, but he was one of the guys that was picking on us. I stood up, and I said, Today, and by the way, these two things happened about two weeks apart. I was a ju- it was right at the end of my junior year. I said, Today, you're going to have to turn me around. Well, he was the opposite of the other guy. You better turn around! And he was getting angry and louder. And by the time he was done, his face was as red as his hair. I mean, he really was that. And he was totally embarrassed because he knew that I wasn't going to back down. I did not want to get in a fight. But I'm glad that didn't challenge me. The point is, we stand in something. And we stand in what Jesus Christ has done. And Jesus Christ is more powerful than any of the rest of us. All of us put together. And you know what? You don't, there's no need to back down. Because guess what? What we stand in is something that's a finished work and has complete and ongoing and complete results to the end of our lives. You know what? When we're in Christ, we're solid. We don't need to back down. We can and do stand. Not because we're strong. Because he's strong. That's the point. By the way, I don't, I'm not advocating fighting or bullies or any of those things. But it's just a real story. And I don't tell very many people, but I thought it fit. But anyway, and then it goes on to say, uh, after in which you stand, it says, by which we are saved. Totally the Apostle Paul totally takes a different change, uh, change here. Because he says, I preached you something. I, you received it. You're, you are standing in it. And then he says, by which you're saved. And here's what happens. It changes to something different. Because those first ones require me to do something. But this one does not. Because the word saved is passive. It means somebody else did it for me. On my behalf, to me, from the outside. I had to receive the gospel. It was preached to me. I was standing in it. 
But He and He alone gives us our salvation. There is zero, nothing, nada that you can add to it. Because when I trust Christ, He is the one that makes good on it. He's the one that delivers us and preserves us. That's what the word save means. He alone is the one that does that on my behalf. You don't get any more powerful than that. Because you can take a stand. But it goes on. And this is where it's important that you know just a little bit more than what your English Bible says. Because if you read in your English Bible, it's going to say something like this. Um, uh, All of a sudden I can't find it. If you hold fast the word. Well, that looks like, well, there's a possibility that maybe you could lose your salvation. Maybe this isn't as sure as I just said. But if you know Greek, and just a little bit, you know that the word if is used four different ways in Greek. We kind of use it that way in English, but not exact. There are four classes. This one's first class. Has nothing whatsoever to do with maybe, might, possibly, or any of those types of things. First class if in Greek means it is absolutely certain, it's absolutely true. There's no chance that it's less than true, less than straightforward and strong. And that's what it means. So it says, if you hold fast the word, it's saying, no, you are absolutely holding fast the word. It's not a matter of, did you do your best? Maybe you'll make it. Maybe you won't. No, it's exactly the opposite. And it's going to flip that around uh, here in a moment again and go the other way. It says, if you hold fast a word. He's saying to them, you are holding fast that word. Why? Because you're standing in this. You've received it. It's true. It's the good news. And then he, he goes on to say, which I preach to you, unless, and now it uses, sorry, I'm behind myself here. I preach to you, unless, again, it's the word if, with a no in front of it, just for our purposes. It's if, unless. So it would be, hey, it's absolutely not true. You believed in vain. So here's the, here's the choices. It's all or nothing. You believed, and it's true, and you're holding fast. Or you didn't. Here's the possibility. You may say, I know about Jesus, but never trusted him. You're not really believing. That's in vain. It's futile. It's empty. Said so it's possible. It's possible for you to have been coming to Garden Chapel and be a member of Garden Chapel and still. You fooled all of us. You fooled yourself. You fooled your family. You fooled me. You fooled the elders. Um, whoever. And you said, oh, I know I'm a Christian. You know what? If you don't know for sure that you've trusted, you've received Christ, that that holding fast is true of you, you need to deal with that. I don't want you to leave here not knowing your sins are forgiven, heaven is your home, you have a life that's worth living. That's the message of the good news. Because guess what? You don't have to do that. You can know for absolutely sure of what God has done for you. And then he goes on and he gives what I already mentioned is the gospel in a nutshell. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In verse 3, he goes on to say, For I delivered. 
um, unto you. That which I, of first importance, that which I also received. The, the Apostle Paul said, here's what I brought to you. Remember that only message that he brought? He says, this is of first importance. And guess what? He used the same word about uh, received about himself. He said, this is what I took for myself. Most of us know Paul's story of conversion. He was on the road to Damas, uh, Damascus, I'm sorry. And uh, he was struck down by a light. And for the first time in his life, what did he say? Who art thou, Lord? He had never said that before. He was fighting against Jesus Christ. Now he's calling him Lord. Lord simply means the one who has the right to, to master your life, to rule your life, to dominate your life. To be the master of your life. He had never said that before in his life. He recognized the one he was persecuting, or those that followed Jesus that he was persecuting. He was also persecuting Jesus Christ. He was dra dragging him down. He said, who art thou, Lord? He totally changed his view of who Jesus Christ was. For me, I'm not the Apostle Paul. I don't expect anybody else got struck down by light at noonday that was brighter than the sun. But about a, less than a quarter of a mile straight down from here in a townhouse, 2098 Lexington Avenue, September 27th, 1973 at 1030 at night. How do I know that? Because I'm a curious guy. I went backwards to find out what it was. I knew some milestones and I went backwards. I knew it was 1030 at night, but I couldn't remember what day it was. A few months later, I went back and got a calendar out and figured out what day it was. You know what? That's not the point. The point is, I know that I knelt by my cot in that room, in the bedroom, and I said to Jesus, no fancy words here, folks. <laughs> you go, you're a pastor, you got fancy words for stuff. No. I basically said this, Jesus, I need what you've done for me. That's the essence of what I said. It wasn't much longer than that. You know why? Because here's what it comes down to. I received what I had been hearing. I'd been hearing the gospel for six months before that. And I trusted Christ. I've, I've been doubted that since that. Why? Because he delivered it and I received it. Paul said, I received it. It is real in my life. I have experienced it and I want to turn around. You see, I couldn't give this message if I didn't know what happened to me in 1973. I could not do that. Not with a clear conscience. I'd be talking about things that, well, might be true, or it's, it's a theory, or it's a principle, or it's the Word of God. Well, those things are all true. But I can also say that I can back it up with my life. That's what the Apostle Paul was saying. He's saying, you know, I'm not telling you something that's just a theory or a principle in my life. This is something that's real in my life. He was a completely changed person. I can tell you I was a completely changed person. When I woke up the next morning, I couldn't explain it, but I knew something was different. If, I, if you even asked me today what was different, I don't know that I could tell you that, but I knew something was different. Now, I didn't know a whole lot at that point. And the fact is, the church I grew up in didn't teach us very much at all, so I didn't know much about the Bible to start with, and I started soaking it up after that. But... The point is, Paul said, I have given you something, something I believe, something I've experienced. That's the gospel. And he says, what did I give to you? That Christ died for our sins. And then it goes on to say, according to the scriptures. 
It's pretty interesting. Jesus Christ is the one, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, He, that is God the Father, who made Him, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Notice when I said that that saving part that we saw a little while ago was something He did for us. What He did is He added God's righteousness to me. I had a sin nature. I needed a God nature. I needed the righteousness of God added to me. There's no works in this. There's nothing I could do. I'm just accepting what's already been done. Christ died for my sins. Died for your sins. Died for the sins of the whole world. That's why we as a church, and hopefully you as individuals, witness to people. You support missionaries. You pray for missionaries. Why? Because we believe Christ died for the sins of the whole world. There's not one single person who's ever lived that Christ hasn't died for. It is a message that's open to all people. He died for the sins of the whole world. And what did He do? He did it on our behalf. There's an exchange that was carried out. He represented us, became sin on our behalf. He had no sin. It's very clear here that he who knew no sin, there was no sin principle whatsoever in him. But he, took, he knew about sin now because he took our sin upon himself and died on our behalf If we trust Him, if we receive Him, we can have eternal life. It also says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it says, We do not have a high priest, that's Jesus Christ, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. That includes sin. But one who has been tempted in all things, as are we, yet without sin. Wow. He says, you know what? He went through it. And by the way, you don't have to be able to sin to be tempted. It's simp- uh, the word temptation simply means to prove that he couldn't sin. He, di- he didn't sin and he couldn't sin. It's outward inducement. Yes, he was tempted in that way. But he didn't have an inward principle that said, hey, go do this, just like all of us do. Uh, he had just the opposite. It's his testing was that when... All the sin of all the world was put on him. He still died for me and you and the whole world. In my garage, I have a a dynamometer. I don't know if you know what a dynamometer is, but if you buy a car, it says it has this many horsepower. Well, how do they figure out how many horsepower your engine has? They put it on a dynamometer and they test a few of them to see how many horsepower it has. Well, I don't have one to put a car on, but... You know my garden tractor pulling hobby. Well, I have a small dynamometer that I can test engines. You know what? When I put an engine on there, I do not put it on there to see if I can destroy it. The fact is, I put it on there to prove that I put it together right and it's going to stay in one piece. And so I can test it to see if I can get the most power out of it. Now, I've already had other guys' engines on my dyno when they let loose. They make this funny sounding noise and go and they quit because pieces are all over the inside of the engine that's not my purpose that's never the purpose for that it's to prove that i knew how to put an engine together and knew how to make some power out of it well guess what temptation is exactly the same way 
and for him. It's, it just proves that he was who he was. And he knows us. He can sympathize with our sin, our weaknesses. And guess what? He did it without sin. The only sin he knew was our sin. One last one in 1 John chapter 3, verse 5. It says this. You know that he appeared, that is, he came in onto the earth, in order to take away sins. And in him, is no, there is no sin. There's absolutely no sin in him whatsoever. But guess what? He came on our behalf. He had the power to deal with our sin. Nobody else can do it. You can't do it. I can't do it for you. Nobody else can do it for you. The church can't do it. Uh, that's just the way it is. And then it says that he did this according to the scriptures. If you go back to Isaiah chapter 53, and I'm not, I don't have time. I'm not going to do that today. But it says that he bore our sorrows. He, he um, uh, was crushed for our iniquities. Uh, we, he was scourged for us. The, our iniquity fell on him. He was cut off and the stroke and the transgression that was due to us, he took it. And he said, he bore our iniquities. He poured himself out to death. He was numbered with the transgressions, yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. When it says that he died for our sins, simply quoting, uh, simply fulfilling, I'm sorry, the, what the Old Testament had already foretold, is that he was the one that was going to totally, completely, and absolutely, permanently deal with sin. Nobody else can do that. You can't, I can't, nobody else can. Then it says, and he was buried. And <laughs> you go, wow, that little phrase, and he was buried, doesn't say anything from the Old Testament according to Scripture. It's just simply this, you don't bury, you don't bury live people. <laughs> you just don't do that. You bury people who have died. In this case, it's a physical death. By the way, on the cross, he also suffered and knows what spiritual death is like. How do I know that? Because one of those sayings from the cross, one of those things that he uttered from the cross, he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Right? Here's what it comes down. He was dying physical death. In fact, as he did something none of us can do, he dismissed his spirit. You can't do that. But he could. He dismissed his spirit. But he said, My God, my God, God the Father, why are you forsaking me? Now, I'm only doing what I can do, the furthest I can do in this, is God the Father had to turn His back. That's the best I can do. Because guess what? He knew when He bore our sins, He knew what spiritual death looks like. Because God the Father had to turn around, because guess what? It was my sin. Oh, and yours too. Oh, and the sins of the whole world that were on Him. And when He was dying for us, God the Father... Could not look on that. So he understands where we're coming from. Remember? He understands all of our temptations. He understands every part of that. He can sympathize with us. Because he knows what it's like. And then it says, and here's where the rest of the chapter goes. And that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. You go, where does it talk about rising in three days in the Old Testament, according to the Scriptures. Well, Jesus had said that, I'm going to, this temple is going to be torn down, I'm going to rebuild it back up. And they thought he was talking about the physical temple. 
big, huge rocks. I can't even get my arms far enough apart. Weighing tons and tons. He, and they were thinking, oh, he's just going to go in there and rip the temple down and then build it back up. And they said, hey, it took 50 years to do this. What are you talking about? He said, no, no, I'm talking about my body. That was before he died. But they asked him for a sign, and they absolutely did that. <clears throat> they said, uh, you know, give us a sign. And here's what he said. He said to them, an evil and an adulterous generation craves for a sign. And yet no sign will be given but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so also the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He goes back and he says, remember Jonah? Jonah chapter 1 verse 17, he was in the belly of the fish, three days and three nights. He said, that's the only sign you get. That's what's going to happen to me. I'm going to rise again three days later. Just like Jonah didn't rise from the dead, but uh, <laughs> he might as well would have been. He was in a fish tomb of some sort. I don't know what that's like. I don't want to find out what that was like. But you know what? It was a typical kind of thing looking like death. And then it says, according to the scriptures. The, to the point is, in Psalm 16, verse 10, it says, For you will not allow my soul, uh, I'm sorry, you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. Now, if you know anything about the Old Testament, you know that was David talking, and he was actually talking about himself. But he was not only talking about himself, because Peter on the day of Pentecost made that very clear. He, he quotes that uh, in his sermon, and then in Acts chapter 2, verse 31 and 32, he says this, <clears throat> and he looked ahead, referring to David, and he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Now, we'll look at the witness part as we go through the chapter. But he just says, you know what? David prophesied that this was going to happen. But I want to end with one more. A story that almost all of us know from some time back, way back in Sunday school, or if you didn't hear it then, you heard it uh, a year or so ago when I preached through Genesis. You know the story of Abraham and Isaac. Some interesting things that happened there, if you don't know this. But you remember, they were to go to Mount Moriah and they were to make a sacrifice. So he takes Isaac with him. They have fire, they have a knife, they have wood for the fire, they have all of the, the, to do the sacrifice. And then Isaac goes, hey dad, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. Hey dad, uh, we got all the stuff we need, but where, where's, where's the sheep? Where's the lamb? He said, God will provide. Then he said to the servants, he says, I and the lad are going to go up in the mountain. We're going to worship and we, two of them, are going to return. You go, hold a second. Then you know the story because he binds Isaac and he is about to sacrifice him. And God says, don't do it. I know you trust me. The New Testament takes that and it's pretty interesting. We call it the Hall of Faith Hebrews chapter 11, verse 19 says this. He, that is Abraham, considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him, that is Isaac, back as a type. 
Even in the Old Testament, they said, you know what? Resurrection's true. I'll get back to it again. Even Job, the first book of the whole Bible that was written, he says, I know that my Redeemer lives. Now, he knew about sacrifices. He knew that a sacrifice is something that is dead. He said, I know my Redeemer lives. He even saw that. Here's the point. And I'm going to close with this. There's good news. The good news is that sin's been dealt with. We don't have to fear it. Death has been dealt with. We don't have to fear it. Why? Because Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. The Old Testament, yes. And also the fulfillment in the New Testament. And then when the Apostle Paul writes books like 1 Corinthians, he explains it. And explains it in detail. Christ died for our sins. Sin has been completely, totally, and 100% paid for. He was buried. He indeed did it. It was some, not some fake thing here. It wasn't a head bob and, and Christ didn't really die. No, he died. But he was raised again on the third day. He proved that he had power over sin. He proved that God was satisfied with his sacrifice. And he proved that death no longer had its power of fear over us. You can leave here this morning knowing that without a doubt. You may say, I'm not sure if I'm saved or not. I think I did that, but I'm not quite sure. You know what? Only Satan wants you not to be sure. Christianity, I've said this many times, Christianity is a no-so religion. I don't even like the word religion, but it's a no-so. I know if I've trusted Christ. You may not know the date, and you may not know the time like I do. That's irrelevant. Do you know there was a time when you received what Christ had done for you? Did you make it yours? That's the bottom line. Let's pray. Father, we've gathered and we've been confronted by truth. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Death for our sins. Resurrection to show that he had power over sin and death. Resurrection proving that God was absolutely satisfied with his sacrifice. If he wasn't, he would not have risen from the dead. God would not have raised him. Because he'd still be a sinner. He'd have sin on him. And he would have the same fate as all of us who have not trusted Christ. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here that's not sure, that in the quiet of this moment they just say, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that Christ died for me. And I'm asking you to apply your resurrection life to my life and save me. Save me from my sin. Save me from a worthless life. And save me so that I have God's righteousness added to me. So that I can come into your presence for all eternity. And Lord, if there's someone here that this is kind of new to them. They're not sure. That they too would recognize that Christ is the only Savior. Without him there is no hope. And they would, in a very simple way, ask Christ to save them because they believe that he died for them. And Lord, I pray that if there are any that just aren't sure yet, they they have questions, 
that they would talk to Pastor Peter or myself or uh, a Christian friend who could explain additional things and answer questions. But Lord, as we enjoy the freedom and the independence that we have in our country, Lord, even way, way above that, Lord, I pray that everyone that's here today would experience the freedom that we have from the tyranny of sin and that we have a life worth living and a heaven worth looking forward to. Lord, thank you for working in our lives today as only you can do through your Holy Spirit. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Go with God and know for sure that you're...